Hello, welcome to Biblioscola, a podcast where we discuss various biblical topics and try to give you a little bit of Sunday school for whatever day of the week you're listening to us on. Today, we're going to be uh, once again looking at the church. We're going to talk about what do we mean when we speak about the local church and what do we mean when we speak about the Catholic or universal church. Ultimately, we're going to turn the discussion towards the idea that at the end of the day, Jesus is the head of the church. Please join us for our discussion. Hi guys, I'm Pastor Matt of Prattsburg Baptist Pastor Church. Pastor Matt of is... Austinburg Baptist Church. And today we are going to look at the church. And, and I know you're thinking, oh, uh, yeah, I know all about church buildings, and I'm a Episcopalian, or I'm a Methodist, or I'm a Baptist, or well, we are going to take a look at what the Bible says about church. If you were asked, if Matt or I came to you and we sat down, we said, "From the Bible, what can you tell me about the church? What could you tell us? What would you actually know about?" It? It's not a criticism. I'm not making fun of you. Or I think sometimes people assume they know a lot about church, but what do you know from the Bible? A lot of times when we say that we are pulling from our memory of our years of attending church. And there is a big difference between attending an institution and knowing what God says about things. So I'm not saying your church isn't being run in some ways biblically. Don't don't misunderstand. But so today, that's what the purpose of the podcast is. We want to bless you. So please pay attention to Revelation 19 as I read from God's word. I'm reading from King's English here. And after these things, this is Revelation 19, verse 1 and on. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath judged the blood of his servants at her hand. And... Again, they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and 20, uh, by the way, if if you want to know what the smoke is, you have to read the last chapter of Babylon, the great is destroyed. Uh, And that's another story for another time. I just want to make sure you know whose smoke that is. Verse four, and the four and 20 elders and the four beasts, the four and 20 elders, yes, the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat in the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said to me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren 
and have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the great supper of the great God that ye may feast on the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and within the false prophet that had wrought miracles before him, with which he had deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. Now, in a second, Matt and I are going to get into uh, a nice outline of uh, the material on that we have on church. But before we hit that outline, I, I think sometimes the old saying, a picture is worth a thousand words, is really correct. I think even in America, where the marriage institution seems to be dying, we still are very familiar with the concept of marriage. And the Bible seems to indicate that marriage will be around even at the beginning of the tribulation period. It's not going anywhere. So everyone knows the bride that comes down the aisle, the groom, the pageantry of the wedding. And the bride is beautiful on her wedding day. There is no doubt. And the groom is handsome. And they're the focus. And it's no doubt. And I just want to say that Revelation, this is like a climax moment in Revelation. We, It's like the climax. 20, 21, and 22 are kind of like the denouement or the tying of the knots. Uh, all the plot threads are wrapped up. But Revelation 19 is the end of human rule on planet Earth. and is the end of Antichrist's kingdom. It is the end of Satan ruling this world. And the church rides out with Jesus Christ. And before we get into Clinically, what the Bible says about church, there's one thing, basic idea you have to understand. The first thing you have to understand is that Christ looks at us as one entity. He does not look at Osmer Baptist and another local church down the road. He may 
see, I'm not saying that Christ is dumb or or blurs his vision. If you look in Revelation 19, 2 through 3, the letters of the churches, he is intimately aware of each church, what their flaws, uh, flaws and faults are, what things are good or bad or indifferent. Even one church, he seems to be warning them that they're mostly unsafe people. But I guess before Matt and I dive in, I just want you to picture the church as a beautiful bride. And that's ultimately how Christ sees us. But you might say, well, okay, but you just said he wrote to seven churches. I I did say that. So he does see us sort of as different entities as well. Yes, I'm. Yes, he does. I mean, Paul writes to different churches. He writes to Corinth. He writes to. And, and so Matt's notes, Matt's the one that generated the notes here, do a great job of breaking down what church is, what a local church is. And Matt, as we're about to dive in, I've changed my mind. Uh, since I have raised the question, let's go through notes as stated, and let's talk about, then real quick, you might say, well, why are you even talking about this? Well, when we did the Apostles' Creed, there's a part in there. Matt, I don't have the exact quote in front of me. Can you kind of, the Holy Catholic Church, or and can you briefly, don't, yeah. don't do the whole Apostles' Creed again, but explain briefly for those that may have missed that, uh, w- what that statement is. Okay. So one of the lines uh, after uh, I believe in the Holy Ghost is I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Um, and, and, and so the question that arises probably almost immediately in Protestant minds is, what do you mean when I say that creed that I believe in the Catholic Church? Um, but the important thing to realize is, number one, when that creed was written, uh, the word Catholic was a common Greek word, and it wasn't referring to the Roman Catholic Church, but it was referring to Catholic in the sense of universal. Um, and so when we in the creed say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, you can also say, I believe in the Holy Universal Church. Um, but then the question arises of what do we mean by universal and, and what do we mean by local? Um, uh, and how does that all kind of fit in together? Yeah, and, right? and again, so um, how, do we, how do we reconcile Revelation 19, the bride of Christ, with Revelation 2 and 3, where the seven churches are taking a task in a godly way? It's like their master brings them to account. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we deal with that? Right. Um, now, I, I, I mean, I have a bunch of notes for, for local, but I think for the most part, we get that when I say local church, I mean your, the, 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 the local assembly, the place where you guys go and worship and, and, and hear a message, which should be a part of that worshiping. Maybe a good um, way to put that would where, be where, your local church, as in, you know, even when you, like yeah. you say, Matt, when you say local church, we're not talking about one church in a community. Like my, my, let me give an example. Austinburg has, is like a very small area. We have a dandy mart. We have an old Grange Hall. I, I don't think they use the Grange Hall anymore. It's a farmer's fraternity uh, thing. And then we have two churches and that's really it. And the mm-hmm. Methodist and the Baptist churches are, I think, only four houses apart from each other. And so sometimes when I say, yeah, our church, 
I have to say, we're the one, I mean, I realize Baptists and Methodists, it should be an obvious delineation, but sometimes it hasn't been for people. So I say, we're the ones across from the little graveyard. Oh, okay. You know, just kind of, oh, we're that close. <laughs> and believe it or not, both churches were made at the same time back in the 1800s by the same guy. He made both churches. Yeah. Our oh, church really? burned down at uh, the turn of the last century. And in 1904, it was rebuilt. So mm. they no longer are sisters or twins. But so when you say local church, that, you know, and Austinburg's a hole in the wall. And I, yeah. I love our little, it's not that I'm making fun of it. I grew up in a city. And so in, in our city, there are so many, you drive by churches to, to go to your church. <laughs> you might drive by a lot of churches, you know, so. Um, so when we say local church, we're talking about the church, the body that you personally attend. Yeah. Um, now, and, and, and by the way, this is something that happens right in the New Testament. I mean, you, you have um, references of, of local gatherings of worship um, in, in Acts and in and, um, Acts 5.11. And maybe I give me two seconds to read that. Um, uh, I should have printed out this stuff instead of just the references. Um, X five eleven. Um, uh, we read, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon. Wait, I must have misplaced that one. So that's not a good reference to that. Um, I'm sorry about that, guys. I'm not perfect. Wait, Anyways, uh, you, you see the local emphasis. I am shocked, yeah, surprised, and uh, a tad disappointed, Matt. <laughs> I am too. Um, and, and, oh, dear. Anyways, you see the local emphasis uh, very clearly, for instance, to the fact that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, or he writes to the church in Rome, or he writes to the church in Ephesus, and we could go yeah. on, right? Or... Um, you, you can read First Peter, Second Peter, and, and, and James and all of them, and they write to this church, this church, and this church. Uh, James, for instance, writes to the churches in diaspora. Uh, you know, the, the churches outside of Jerusalem is what he's hey, really writing Does to. he mean dysphoria? Um, is that what he's more yeah. talking about, dysphoria? Or? Um. Yeah, probably what he's talking about is he because James is writing from a more Jewish perspective, he, he's writing to all those churches, probably more Jewish in persuasion, although don't argue that too much, but all those churches that are outside of the yeah, whole dysphoria is uh, generally an in, idea, just so that our listener doesn't, you know, uh, legitimately think that like mm -hmm. the church of Colossae and then there's the church of dysphoria. You know, what Matt is saying is, so Jews were scattered all over the Roman Empire. And like Matt says, not all of them, well, obviously, then they're not all on the Holy Land. And so it's like he is writing to Jewish believers. It's not that Gentile believers can't can't take advantage of it. But I think that he is writing specifically to mm -hmm. Jewish believers. And you can debate why or how or what. But, I mean, it's no different from Paul writing to the Christians at Colossae. Or writing to the Christians at Rome, right. everyone benefits from it. It just gives the letter a focus. It, it literally, I don't know. It's it's really brilliant how right. God did the Bible. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Um, but but so so you see stuff like that throughout um, throughout the New Testament. 
through uh, uh, Paul's mini, uh, mission. Uh, he, you know, he's going from place to place. Now, one, one neat thing, and this is a slight aside, but I'm still going to talk to you guys about it and you're stuck with me, um, is it's actually, if you pay attention to history, when we talk about the Church of Rome, there was actually probably, even back then, maybe 10 churches in Rome. Because, and, and back then, it's not so much because of a, a sense of we, we don't get along with this group because they believe that or whatnot, but because they are living under persecution and they want to keep under the radar, they kept churches small. Well, and even if up. they hadn't been under persecution, you know, they've done studies, yeah. and I'm not, it makes the persecution thing absolutely makes sense, but they have done studies, and it's like, well, even look at Moses, the way God sets up leadership. Moses was trying to run the whole thing. God's like, and so they had captains of this. Even down to 10 families, they had a captain over right. that, you know? And I, I think there's I, what the average pastors, you know, they basically can only reach so many people effectively before. And I, it, yes. so it makes sense that if you're going to be part of a local body, if the body gets too big, eventually you're just going to be swallowed up in that massive. And and I'm not attacking mega churches. I I think the way the mega church deals with this is they do a lot of small groups and stuff. So they've got the bigger expression, and they have little mini expressions in their own body. Yeah. Um. Well, that's just to say. E e even then, if you think about it, so when Paul writes to Rome, um. If you read the end of Romans, you know that he writes in part to Priscilla and Aquila, which has a house church there. Um, but you get a sense, okay, he's writing to Rome, local churches, local church, but he's also still referring as he's grouping them all together in the universal type sense. And, and by the way, Matt is not um, being liberal. And I, I think that there was a time where people, I mean, I'm a neo-fundamentalist and, and people would say, well, what, what, do you want us all to sing Kumbaya and all take hands together? The idea even if it's not perfect in this world, John 17, 21. And, and again, I'm a neo-fundamentalist. It's not like I'm trying to soft pedal. There's definitely some separation talked about in the Bible, but it, that's not God's ultimate plan. John 17, 21, that they, all of them may be one. That is his prayer. That's Christ's prayer for the church and believers. And he says, mm -hmm. Father, just as you and I in me and I am in you, and may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That is extremely, extremely convicting. He is comparing his goal, like for our unity, to the Trinity, which we don't even comprehend. It's that one. You have distinct individuals, but they're like one. I mean, we don't even understand that. And he says that, that basically that more people will get saved. So I think we need to be real careful. We can take a stand yeah. on doctrine. We can take a stand on compromise. Um, I, I think sometimes compromise uh, sometimes is a word for preferences, to be absolutely honest with you. But, uh, but I think there are some clear things. Let me, uh, New York's about to legalize prostitution. I, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian, hopefully we could all agree that prostitution is something that is a sin. Do you see that the Bible would term as a sin? It's not that we don't want prostitutes to get saved, but it would be a sin, just like any other sin. In other words, if someone said, well, I think that it's okay that a female, no, no it's it's not okay to do that. 
<laughs> Clearly, Matt doesn't. Matt's like, well, actually, I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I have nothing to add. Matt's Democrat side comes out. No, I'm kidding. I don't even know what political party that is. So. Oh, dear. That could be independent for all I know. Oh. Oh, dear. <laughs> um. No, no, no. Um. Oh, dear. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyways, um, well, my point. What was your point? That up is that certain, like, clear things in the Bible should divide us. In other words, if a church embraces abortion yes. wholesale, I would have a tough time doing a lot with a church like that. I mean, if they were rabid for it, I'd be like, "Whoa, mm-hmm. you are embracing and promoting Baal worship, basically a modern expression of Baal worship." I can't. Well, you need to be one with us as a body of Christ. Um, Look, I know you're not perfect, and I know none of us as believers are perfect, kind of like what you referenced earlier, Matt, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to be holy, and we mm-hmm. cannot just stand in sin and not repent because we, you know, um, right. another thing would be the prostitution thing. If a church was like, uh, yes, I think young ladies should have the right to sell their bodies for money. I think that's a good idea. Um, I'd have to say biblically, that is a horrible idea, you you know, that whatever New York state does on the matter does not negate the fact that prostitution is not God's plan for your life. It is not you. you, And there's no biblical defense to even make it. So you can't even defend it. You know, it's like, no, and not that you would try. So I'm saying that when I'm saying that I'll be one, I am saying that, Sometimes some of the reasons people separate from each other are rather petty, but but sometimes there's some legitimate things. So I think that this is Christ's ultimate goal for us, but I think we'd have to be pretty revived and walking very closely for this to actually happen. No. So, so real quick, let, let, let me make one point. Um, that, that ties in with us. So at the beginning, when, when I, when I quoted the creed, I said that we are a holy church, right? That doesn't mean that we're holy because well, of Christ. Whom. We're holy because of Christ. Right. Christ. Exactly. And, and we need to keep that in mind because at the end of the day, um, right here and now, we're living in an imperfect world. And all of us, even having by, by the grace of God been saved and having been covered by the blood of Jesus and, and having our sins, you know, uh, forgiven because of what Christ did, we still remain. Wait, wait, real quick, let me prove that so point in case. Uh, yeah. So I believe in first John one ten. you know what? Sometimes I quote this, but I would be, we're, we're online right now. Let's, let's actually, so first John one ten, um, and actually I'm just going to pull up the whole version. So one seven says one uh, eight, sorry. It says I'm getting there folks. Uh, what what I want to talk about is the fact that you will always be a sinner, even if you strive for holiness. First uh, John one eight. If we say we have no sin, you've never sinned. We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. You're not even saved. To get saved, you have to admit I am a sinner. But today, and then we have nine, which is a, a famous verse, and it's a good verse. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then I think today. We have this, I think our culture is like, yeah, everyone's a sinner or whatever. And no, we need to strive for holiness. But the same token, First John 1, 10, 
if we say we have not sinned, like I have been walking with Christ, I really haven't sinned too much lately. The Bible says we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And Matt, I have found that so true. If I'm not having my devotions, mm-hmm. if I'm not walking tightly with Christ, if I'm walking in the flesh, I sin a lot. Oh, I was just telling Matt, I had, I did not have my devotions yesterday. I say that to my shame. I'm not bragging. I had, I had set aside a time later in the day to do it. And then I failed to do that. That is my shame. That's on me, but I paid for it. I had a sister in Christ bring something up briefly. And I, I just had a little snippy thing back that came right from the flesh and it wasn't good. It wasn't godly. Uh, it was carnal, full of secular wisdom, but not anything that the Lord would have had me say. I didn't swear. I didn't say anything profane. But so I, I really think, yeah, uh, we are not perfect. We are going to sin. And I yeah. think that when we start to think we are like really righteous, we hit Pharisee level. When we give up on being righteous, I, I yeah. think we become jokes to the world. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I think the passage you read is very important because John's writing to believers there. Everything he says right there that you read, it's not directed to, it's directed to someone who says they're in the church, who, who John is acting like they indeed are, are part of the body of Christ. So these are things that even after we are saved. Even after we're part of the church, we are still going to have problems. And by the way, we still need to confess yeah, those you things know, to the Lord. I, I have a favorite Pentecostal he, preacher, uh, Pastor Prince. And I like some things he has to say. One thing he said, mm-hmm. and, and if he has since changed his mind or in a different different video made a better defense of this, I, the video I heard was pretty clear. As much as I like some things that he says, he said, since, we're, since when I got saved, I'm under Christ's blood. It's ridiculous to daily confess my sins. I do not agree with that. Um, I do think that all my sins were forgiven on the cross. I I don't think if I die after sinning a few times uh, that I'm going to go to hell or anything like that. However, I still sin. And even though I am forgiven ultimately by Christ, I think, look, you know, I don't think I need to whip my body or conflagulate myself. But I think that repentance, part of repentance, right. repentance is turning back to following Christ. It would be, Lord, I have uh, yeah. been mean to my wife today or whatever. I want to apologize for that and let you know that I am going to be a godly husband for the rest. Of, you know, I, I want you to help me be godly. So I don't think that there's, um, I think you're right, Matt. I do think we need to confess our sins when we find ourselves sinning. And I think when we don't, we get too casual with sin. If I look at things I shouldn't be looking yeah. like, like uh, a racy picture of a woman comes up in my stream and I linger on that. Oh, wow. You know, I don't just go, oh, she was pretty and keep going. I'm like, oh, you know, well, that's lust. And if I don't confess that, I'm kind of saying that that's kind right. of okay. You know, it's a daily battle. I have to fight with my right. eyes. But I think that if I'm like, yeah, I'm just a guy. And yeah, sometimes I just struggle with that. Well, okay, but sure. But that doesn't mean that I'm still not sinning against the Lord God. And I don't need to say, hey, Father, I was totally out of line earlier mm-hmm. today. And I want to tell you, I'm sorry about that. And I want you to, I want to be like Job and I want to make a covenant with my eyes and I want to be faithful to my wife, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, no, exactly. And, and, and I think also, and I know this is a slight aside, guys, but I think confession is also important for all the things you said, and it help, if we don't confess and if we 
how, how do we expect to grow to be more like Christ if we're not acknowledging, okay, I've messed up here. This is not the behavior you like. This is not, um, it, it, yeah, God is merciful and, and God does forgive. And, and, and we should never forget that characteristic. Um, but I think sometimes the other thing that happens is someone, if they're not in the frame of, of confession or not, it's real easy to get into the judgmental thing of, well, look at what so-and-so did, forgetting, hey, you have your own mm. sin issues yourself. Yeah, that's really, um, it's common sometimes as someone to point out. But I, I think that one thing believers have to understand, there's a difference between battling with a sin and giving yourself over to a sin. So it would be, you know, let's say a pastor sometimes struggles yeah. with his temper. Um you know, and he knows it's a problem and he really works on it. And, but once or twice he does, you know, and he's later, he's like, I was totally out of line. I lost at that board meeting or I said some unfortunate things. I'm sorry. Well, you can hold that against the guy forever if you want to, but he's not walking every day. He's not screaming in church and throwing things at people and people aren't walking on eggshells around him. Right. I'm talking about like once every two years, you know, unfortunately he loses that battle because he's human and that's a battle that he loses, you know, I, you know, I was thinking as you were talking of first Corinthians five of the sin right in the middle of the church and first uh, Corinthians five, five, you're talking about a guy who's really involved in a, in a gross sin. And he says, look, verse five, five, he says, first Corinthians to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And then he said, well, he talks about separating from people that are living in sin and stuff. So again, we're, we're not talking about you and your daily walk screwing up and coming back and apologizing to Christ. I just admitted to you yesterday that I did not have a proper devotion time. I'm not proud of that. I need to repent of that, forsake that and make sure that that doesn't, you know, but on, on the other hand, as a pastor, I cannot live in not having devotions. In other words, well, I struggle with having that, so I just don't even bother anymore. Well, that that's silly. <laughs> you know, that's stupid. And that's wrong. And if I ever said that to you, Matt, I would hope and I certainly think you would say, I don't even know if you should be a pastor anymore then. You, you know, and, and you would be being serious yeah. if I told you. Matt, I don't even read the Bible anymore. And, you know, I, I've, I've studied the Bible long enough. I just get up and talk on Sunday morning and people like it. I think you'd be right to rebuke me there and say, you're, you're far away from Christ right now and mm -hmm. you're, you need to repent. Cause you know, um, and you'd be right. If I was walking in that kind of life, I, I would need to repent. Right. All right. Um, as, as good as some of this is, let's real quick uh, jump back to where we were. Um, and, and, and one of my favorite verses in talk about local versus universal and that it's the same is actually the beginning of 1 Corinthians. If you read 1 Corinthians 1-2, it's kind of real interesting what Paul does here. He says, to the church of God, universal, that is in Corinth, local. Uh, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place, universal, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lords and ours. Um, I think Paul just does this amazing Wait, thing. He, he, he addresses, he's addressed that. I'm, I'm sorry. It's first okay. Corinthians Thanks. one, two. Um. No, I, I should have made that more clear, but it's very interesting. He, he, 
on one hand, he makes it clear, I'm writing to this local body, but in everything in, in all the description, he's making clear the universality of the church, but he does it by, by reminding us of what makes us universal is that the church is God's, that we're sanctified in Christ Jesus, that we call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is our Lord, as well as the Lord of other local bodies. And that's how we are distinct and yet unified. It's not because of of who we are. It's because of who God is and and that the church is his. Yeah. In fact, uh, back to first John, the first few it's the same kind of idea in the very beginning. Oh, come on, this thing's being dumb. Bible Gateway is not showing me first John. <laughs> in first John chapter one, I may have to just hold it here in a second. Um, oh, New King James, don't really want to do that, but oh, okay, here we go. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled uh, of the word of life. For life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, is manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, absolutely, it's... um. You know, how how do we fellowship with each other? We're part of the body of Christ. And it's not just a local expression. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um so so you know, um it is important, I think, as we, you know, we might love our local body, right? I I, I love every Sunday being able to to come and 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 not just preach to my people, right? But but the the fellowship and everything involved. In yeah, you finish your thought. But at no, the you end, finish of, your thought, and then I'll say. Something. Go ahead. Um, but but at the end of the day, as important as as that particular uh, local assembly is, if something were to happen, if we couldn't uh, pay the bills and we had to shut down or whatnot, that doesn't mean that fellowshipping with Christians should be the end of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um. You know, as you talked, the reason, Matt, I think that you enjoy the Lord's house uh, is that you are using the gifts God has given you to play your part in the local body. And I think this might be why people find church mm-hmm. so boring or I don't really like church or I give it or take it or they kind of float in and float out depending on what's going on in their lives. Look. The problem is if church is just a receptacle that you sit in for an hour a week, uh, it will be quite boring to you. Uh, You may like it a little bit. Don't get me wrong. But church is a place for you as a believer to add your light to our light. So instead of having one candle, you have a big bonfire. And you're part of that body. We're not going to get into first Corinthians 12 today, maybe next week, but you have a role to play. You might say, well, nobody sees me as important, or I don't know what my skills or abilities are. Well, first of all, I would make sure you were spending time with Christ every day. Second of all, maybe what you are doing for the Lord, you're not valuing, but trust me, anything we do for the Lord is of great value. I'll give you one example real quick, and I'll let Matt keep going on the notes. So last year we did a play, and of course in a uh, church Christmas play, 
And when you think about church Christmas play, you think about the actors on the stage, but there's a lot that goes into a play that aren't necessarily just the actors on the stage. And I had two men in our church build a candy shop for me. It took them about five hours to build that set piece. Now, nobody saw that we didn't film them. We didn't do a documentary with them doing that. They spent a lot of time and effort. And all people saw when they came in was the candy store there. They didn't see the two men that made it. Sometimes maybe you clean your church, so nobody even thinks about that. Or maybe the only kind of thing you hear is, oh, you know, the piano was a little dusty this week. And, and you get discouraged. You're like, well, what about all the times I did a good job? Well, here's the deal. Why are you serving in church? Are you serving Christ? If you are, there is great joy in it, and you're part of that body, and you are so necessary. Because just like the play, that candy store made uh, was a big part of that play, uh, even though the two men behind it didn't, you know, we mentioned them, but that's about it. So, so just because you're not up front mm -hmm. preaching or whatever, doesn't mean you have a vital aspect. And I find sometimes when people are being driven away from their church, I kind of try to warn them because sometimes they have skills and abilities they're using in that church. Like, I just tell them, make sure Jesus is behind you leaving because you may not get that opportunity somewhere else. Like a pastor quits the ministry and suddenly he has nowhere to preach, you, you know, and sometimes that becomes an issue for them. That really bothers, them, you, you know, and I'm like, or even yeah. that guy is teaches a class or something and he goes to a different church and they don't want him to teach anything. And he sits there and he has this driving need to exercise his gift, but you know, maybe the Lord didn't want him to leave in the first place. So he has nowhere to, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, I'm, I'm waxy. Go ahead. Um, all that's great stuff. Um, uh, so, so some of the other things that I think is important is when we talk about the universality of the church is some of the terms that are used throughout the new Testament. And this is not an, an, an exhausted list that I'm going to give you, but I think these are kind of important terms. Uh, we're called the people of God. Um, and I think that's important because, um, you know, it, it's once again, um, Speaking of the unity, it, it, it's kind of got some strong biblical language with that. But you see that First uh, uh, Peter, for instance, uh, 2, 9, and 10 talk about that. Second uh, Corinthians 6, 16, and, and, and there's other places uh, where the, we're called the kingdom of God. Um, I think that's important in part to highlight that Christ is our Lord. Um. That's in Matthew 16. Is that church discipline passage, or am I, am I misremembering that? Uh, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that. Let me look it up real quick. I probably knew two weeks ago when... Uh, yeah, no, it's not. I'm wrong. Right? That's a different passage. This is uh, Peter making a statement of who Jesus Christ is. Yep. And then okay. he leads into, yeah, go ahead. Okay. And no, uh, you, so you then the verses Matt is highlighting is uh, 19 and 20, right, Matt? Did I read that right? Uh, or is it? Ye I will give you, yeah. this is Jesus talking to Peter. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Reason Matt had to kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, I assume some translations probably say, right? Yeah. 
although I don't know which translation I was looking at because ESV. Okay, well, it's still a term, too. though. You, you said it's a term. It's um, certainly a term. Yeah, yeah. Um, now I, I should have also highlighted eighteen, except that's a whole. You you taught this do, recently, you said, but um, that's. No, I, oh, I, I it was when I was making notes. Um, the keys. Nineteen. Oh, okay. I, I should have caught up on that. I, and, and anyways, that that's fine. I, 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 anyways. Um, but but we're called the kingdom of heaven, and, and I think partly it highlights Christ's authority. And and in this particular passage, it also talks in part of Christ giving some of that authority uh, to the to the church to the apostles. Um. But it's ultimately under his head, and that's what 18's talking about. I, I know that there's some disagreement there, but ultimately it's that yeah, Christ is the head of the church. We already, at the beginning of the podcast, talked about us as the bride, and I think that's also a very important term, um, in part because it talks about God, Christ's love for us. Um, and it doesn't just appear there in Revelation. It also appears in Ephesians uh, 5, 24 to 27. Um, and, and, and I don't know how much we fully appreciate that, that, that the importance of that terminology, except that when uh, Paul makes use of it and then John, but, but ultimately through that revelation that he got from Jesus, they were uh, not that I'm saying they were replacing Israel or anything, but they were using in part uh, their audience knowledge of how often God in the old Testament spoke of Israel as its bride and the love and everything connected to that. And, and saying in a similar sense, Christ in the church, there's that same love, that same drive that, that you see throughout all those passages that Christ uh, in his interactions with the church. Um, if that makes sense. Uh, Then there's the body of Christ, but I don't really want to talk too much about that because we might do that next week, but uh, that's also an important term. So with all of that said, I don't know how much we highlighted this, but the one thing that Adrian and I really kind of wanted to talk about also is the fact that as we express everything, the one thing that we need to realize is that Christ is the yes. ultimate head. Yes, that's that is certainly true. Um, and it's, I think I was telling Matt, I think that it would solve so many problems. Like I don't care what your well, I, your church polity. I, I guess I, I do care a little bit. It, it should have a biblical form to it. I know that there's a lot of open territory there, but but regardless of your biblical polity. Uh, if Christ is out of your church, I think it solves a lot. In Galatians 3, 27, 28, uh, for we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Neither is there, now listen to this carefully, America, especially after this week. Neither is there Jew or Greek. There's neither bond or free, neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. There's not a black and a white Christian. We're just Christians. That's how Jesus looks at us. You might say, well, politically, there's differences. Sure, sure. There might be differences between some whites and some blacks. Although when you say that, there are blacks that are 
you, you know, uh, like right now, a lot of people view black people as maybe more like black lives matter and uh, maybe a little more Democrat. I mean, I, it's a huge percentage of black people that vote Democrat, but actually there are black people that are conservative and there are white people that are liberal and there are white people that believe in black lives matter. And my point is, so the world is at each other's throats. You have um, riots going on in the United States this last week. But uh, this is not Christ's intention, which really begs the question of why we have churches that separate according to race and not just black and white. You'll have a Korean church. You'll have a, uh, you know, a Hispanic church. I'm not sure that this is a good idea on our part. I, you know, I, I don't think it's what Christ ever had in mind. So we're not talking about doctrinal separation. We're talking about separation by culture or race. And you might say, well, Pastor Adrian, have you ever heard, you know, black people do a hymn? Yeah, it's actually really cool. And you might say, well, there are, you know, a black Baptist church does a service a lot differently than like you would like. Sometimes they'll pass the plate more than once. I'm not critical. That's just sometimes what they do. They're a lot more vocal. Sometimes a Baptist church is very quiet during the service, you know, at least a white one, a black Baptist church might be a lot more vocal during a service. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't know. I think that according to this verse, um, and I think right now our country would like to see racial unity. I think there is an underlying pining, not the radicals, uh, but underlining pining in our country for unity. And we Christians should be leading the way, but we are not. We are just as divided. And I think that's a mistake. Well, anyway, but what's important, again, is that we're uh, faith in Christ Jesus uh, and that we are all one in Christ Jesus. So our unity comes from Christ. Uh, let's talk about Christ being the head, though. Uh, first, uh, Ephesians 1, 20 through 23, which he wrought in Christ when he raised them from the dead. This is Ephesians 1, 20. And set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in what wishes to come. White Christian, if you're a conservative, uh, salvation is not going to be in the Republican Party ruling the United States. I'm not saying that it's wrong to vote for Republicans. That's not what I'm saying. But I think sometimes some Christians think if only we get all these people to be Republicans, we will have a great country. Uh, that that's not true. Um, and it's the same thing with Democrats. Um, it's this 22. Okay, and why do I say that? Cause Christ is far more important than the president or the Congress or your local governor or your local civic leader. Uh, Jesus is over everyone right now in our country. It's a good question. Who's more powerful than who state governors right now look pretty powerful, but Jesus is over everybody. 22, and he hath put all things under his feet and gave him head to be over all uh, all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So right now we have a world divided. Yet, believer, why should we be divided about whether a church does gopher buddies from Word of Life or Sparkies and Cubbies from Awana? Why should that be a debilitating thing? Why should, if we want to change our sanctuary, maybe, why should that create tension and strife? And you say, well, Pastor Aiden, we're human. Yeah, we are human. But if we're not in charge, shouldn't we be seeking Christ's face on every decision our church faces? And if we did that, do you think it would change how we approach business meeting, how we approach each other, 
whether we were devious. Or not. In other words, instead of fighting for my way at VBS, I've got this great idea. I'm going to fight for my way. Well, if it's something biblical that we need to do, then fine. I, I, I mean, let's use an extreme example. Uh, let's say people think we should arm the kids at VBS and, and attack somebody. Obviously, that is ungodly, unbiblical, and no, <laughs> no. And so I think a pastor would rightly just stomp that out of existence. But on the other hand, uh, let's say my idea is we're going to have a bouncy house at the end of VBS. And uh, the, the director of VBS says, well, pastor, I don't think that's a good use of the Lord's money. Well, uh, so I can politically try to go after my way. I can browbeat that VBS director into doing my way or fight him. Or I can seek Christ's face, encourage him to do the same and try to find what does the Lord want? Maybe the Lord does want a bounty house. Maybe he doesn't. He said, well, who cares? Well, what I'm saying, though, is day-to-day decisions do need to be made in the church. People do get emotional about them. And if Christ is the head, that means he decides whether there's a bounty house or not at church. And I don't know. I just think that people are like, well, you can't ask Christ if you should have a bounty house. I don't see why not. I don't see why did churches, are they so quick? I think, and I'll get off my soapbox. I think, so church is going to call a pastor. I think they do it exactly like Samuel. They look at the guy. Oh, this guy's handsome. He's a good speaker. That's all garbage. Who cares about any of that stuff? What did uh, God says? Uh, no, I got a very different criteria here. And they bring in David, the shepherd boy, who doesn't even look qualified for the job. And that's who God wants to be in charge of the nation. What a great decision that was. So I think that if we are seeking Christ in all of our decisions, I find it ironic that a church two or three years later hates their pastor and wants to get rid of them. Did you pray about it? You know, maybe the guy fell into sin and he's becoming a problem, but more likely I'd have to say, did you pray about it? Are you still praying for your pastor? I, I don't know. All right. I'll, I'll get yeah. off my soapbox. So there's a lot of verses about Christ being the head of the church Hopefully you as the viewer don't deny that. I could read other verses, but hopefully that's kind of obvious, I would hope. Yeah. Uh, but but I do think it, it, it is important, and maybe we should have devoted more time than we can, uh, of the fact that Christ is the head of the church. He is our Lord. He is our King. He, you know, the, I mean, the Bible's filled with a hundred different ways of saying it. Um. But if I, I and I think you're right, though, that if we we might not consciously say realize that we've lost our focus on Christ, uh, that our focus on him being the head of the church. But I think a lot of churches, they kind of well, they start to worry about other yeah. things um, and, and 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 prayer becomes less and less. Well, when they pray, they start thinking about the decisions they have to make. In other words, they can pray very quickly, but if they pray too long, they get distracted by what they're thinking about Mm -hmm. a church or they're mad at deacon so-and-so because deacon so-and-so is a pen. Even if it's something that you think is unbiblical. And I can't use an example because, uh, I mean, it happened years ago, but there were legitimate Christians had a, you know what? I, as a pastor, a youth pastor, I was like, I say thee nay. And I, I think maybe biblically I was in the right, but there were some biblical things they were trying to express. And I might have been better to approach that situation a little more humbly, talk to them and gently chide mm-hmm. them and gently go through scripture with them and listen to them, not just try to show them why they're wrong. 
and not just mock them, but show them mm -hmm. that, okay, so I see what you're saying, but we can't leave biblical ground. In other words, here's the biblical fence. And I fear that you are crossing that line where you're entering um, a different area and we need to stay within the fence. Now, you know, and help them search the scripture to maybe better prove their point or see it in more clear focus. But, but to be careful not to allow them to step over the line, but maybe do that a little more kindly than I did and, and not look down on them and be like, this is stupid. You're dumb. Y you know, and that's so fleshly. That's so carnal. Carnality destroys. Yeah. Carnality. You know what war does? War, uh, James, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Comes it not from your own lusts? And that is true. We desire to be recognized. We desire to be honored. And we desire our way. I remember when you're at BBS, I really wanted superheroes. Maybe I already said this in a podcast and other people wanted something else. And I really didn't want that theme, but I prayed about it. And the Lord was like, eh, I don't think it's that big a deal. Why don't you go through the theme? And I did. And you know what? It was a great year at BBS. <laughs> so I didn't get my way. And it was, it was such a blessing that I, I didn't get my way. And sometimes it's a blessing when we don't get our way. Uh, it, it's, and, I, and I think the other mistake is when we yeah. get falsely humble. And so we always give in. Because you won't always give in. You're going to eventually get mad. That's not that's not a good godly relationship. They're like, oh, deacon so-and-so, I'll just give him his way for unity in the church. That's not unity in the church. Uh, you should be allowed to express reservations or, or things like, well, I don't think that's a good idea. As long as you're kind about it and seeking the Lord's face. Yeah. And if deacon so-and-so is always shooting people down or pastor so-and-so or church member so-and-so, maybe eventually the church needs to take that person in hand and say, you know, you're very negative and you are always shouting down people. And, uh, you know, we love you, but you got to stop that. Yeah. No, I, well, <laughs> That, that's a good point that we could almost talk for more time than we probably should have. But there are times where um, going, going to the idea that sometimes we don't realize that we've moved away who's the head of the church. But um, one thing I was warned about when I was in school, and maybe you were too, is that there are people that, that when you go to a new church, this is what I was told. You know, you should find the person who's really the head of the church. Um, you know, the little old lady or, or whatever. And, and I get what that advice was practically. But at the same time, it's kind of sad because what it's saying is anytime you go somewhere, make sure that you realize that you don't have all the power. Okay, that's true. But implicit in that advice was the church is going to listen to so-and-so yeah, no, before I, they I listen hear what to you're saying. scripture. As a pastor, I totally agree with you. And I totally think that that mm -hmm. was... And I'm not putting down whoever gave me that advice. Uh, and I've seen it before in uh, secular, um, mm -hmm. what do you want to say, leadership material. It is a shrewd, I have learned something about the ministry. Mm -hmm. There are shrewd secular ways to go about getting your way. And you want to be political, a pastor can be very political and be successful yeah. at that. But I am tired of being clever. I, I, it's one of my things sometimes I'm tired of being clever. I'm tired of doing things mm -hmm. in the flesh. And so it might be smart to strategically see who is the boss and whatever. I think, um, first of all, 
we do need to recognize legitimate leadership in the church besides ourselves. And God has given churches other leadership besides the pastor. And you'd be wise to identify those people, not so that you can get them on board or with your way, right. or that you can spend more time with them than other people. So you get your will done. But on the other hand, so that God can use them to lead the church too. I mean, I realize when you're a new pastor, you're trying to get established. But I think that that's a mistake. If the Oregon player controls the whole church from her Oregon seat, it's the church has already made a huge mistake. Jesus is in charge of that church. And really, all you need to know as a pastor, and this is going right. to sound so simplex. So I, I think I shared a few weeks ago. Maybe I didn't. I was going to share a congregational rule, and I had read in the Bible, I was a sincere young man, and I read Hebrews 13, two verses that made it seem very clear to me the pastor was the absolute power in the church. Now, Matt, in your notes, you talk about the under-shepherd, and I would have done well to really think about that. Jesus is the absolute power in the church. But these two verses in Hebrews seem to be very definitive. And I thought, man, I think congregational rule is all wet. Here's what I've realized. Here's what I love about congregational rule. At least at my church and most Baptist churches, the only real power a pastor has besides being ex officio and all that other little stuff, which is fine, is he has the power behind the pulpit to choose what he's going to preach on and to bring forth the word of God. And I'll be honest with you, Matt, that's all the authority I'm ever going to need. Church wants to throw me out. I don't need to be rude. I don't need to be belligerent. Mm -hmm. I don't need to always get my way, but I need to stand for the word. That's my job as a pastor. And maybe only once or twice a year will the church really need me to take God's word and apply it to something. I don't mean, I, what I mean is there's a big decision. And I say, guys, God's word makes this decision incredibly obvious. Let's look at it together. That's why I'm there, uh, God's word. And, uh, you know, anyway, what I'm saying is, yeah, you're talking about being clever or political versus being on the authority of Christ and using the word. And uh, I know that sounds naive on my part. So be it. I'd rather be naive. I have been in the ministry for 20 years as a pastor, five years as a, as a youth pastor. And I've learned that that's all crap. I don't mean to be crass. I just mean that. I'm not demeaning my own service, but all that human experience is worthless. It's only Christ that I'm going to proceed. Um, so I can be yeah. clever. I've got experience. And I've also been a coach, a head of a program. So you learn about political things there too, you know, and how to get your will done if you want this rule and track and field or that, or you want to get this team reclassified or whatever. But my point is Jesus, only Jesus. Don't trust in your abilities. Don't trust in uh, your flesh. Don't trust in your experience. Don't trust in what you know. Read the word. Seek Christ's face. What does Christ want? And those enemies, if they oppose Jesus, they will fail. The exact same thing. I think it was Gamaliel, right? And I think it's Acts 5 told the Pharisees, if you oppose God, you will ultimately yeah. fail. And pastors, if we are humbly but firmly standing on God's word, I'm not talking about gray areas per se. I know people, there's no such thing as a gray area. Yeah, I think there might be. Because <laughs> sometimes believers are really all over the place and things. I'm talking about black and white scripture. Don't back off of it. I don't care how many people hate you. Like, oh, no, the Bible says this. And I and I can't back off of it. Sorry, I can't. Like when someone says, I get I, my church is when I go out on my boat and fish. Well, that's not a biblical. I don't care if a Christian says that or not. That's not biblical. That's not your church. That that's that's your yeah. Maybe that's a place that you get find rest. 
I would say, not trying to be mean, it's a place you find secular rest. There's nothing wrong with secular rest, but I would bring Christ and God into that. Uh, if you're not reading the word or meditating at all on the Lord, I think you're making a mistake. I think you enjoy fishing and stuff, but if you're spending hours in the lake thinking about carnal things, yeah. you're making a mistake. Uh, and I, I say that in love. I'm a hunter. I sit for hours freezing to death, hoping I'll see a deer I can shoot. Uh, <laughs> and often miserably failing in that endeavor. <laughs> but um, but I spend all day focusing on uh, fleshly things. I've ultimately yeah. All right. Um, no, that that's all good. I think you're right. If when we as we talk about being uh, seeking Christ as our head and and being and and letting Christ lead us, a big part of that is actually yeah, being in the Word, yeah. actually yeah. letting God. Uh, if you yeah. love me, keep my commandments. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there's lots of yeah. Yeah. yeah, you will not find Christ if you are outside of the Word of God. Uh, and in fact, the flesh will look better and better to you. Your yeah. own wisdom is going to look better and better to you. And I am sorry, any joy you find are just in the things of this life at that point. And you will find church will slowly become a drudgery or it will feel hopeless. You might like church, but everything you do feels like a sandcastle keeps falling apart. You might say, well, I'm a godly pastor. I'm reading the Word and praying. And I feel like that. Well, yeah, to have patience in the Lord, too. But anything done in the flesh is ultimately just going to kind of fall apart, but for God's grace. Yeah. All right. We're probably running a little bit over today. So why don't, uh, oh dear. As you can tell, we're very passionate about this subject. I think that people are like, Um, I, I, I don't know. Like I'm a Baptist. Well, you know, that's what you're saying then is fantastic. You're saying you, Mm -hmm. you have certain theological beliefs in your study of scripture and that's, that's fine, well, and good. As long as you don't forget these wider principles uh, that like the body of Christ and stuff. And, and so, you know, um, I I think that some Christians subtly do forget those things. Yeah. You know, and and I think sometimes the unity people, let's all be one. They quote Christ, but they don't want to be one with the Bible and what Christ actually says. And that's why I'm not as interested in being one with right. them. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this doesn't seem to be very biblically oriented. You know, we talk a lot of, even if, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I could talk all day about this. You're right. Five hour stream. Um, so, yeah. Well, anyways, um, why don't we, uh, hey, in, 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 why don't wait, we, me, uh, go I, ahead and I've just got an illustration the, real yeah. quick and then maybe, so let me illustrate go right ahead. legitimately seeking God's will. So I go to Bible, Matt and I work at Bible club camp and don't worry if you're listening to this, I, I, I would hope any staff member at Bible club camp could listen to this and be blessed. I'm, I'm not trying to talk by anyone's back. I'm trying to be open. And our director, who is a great guy, David Mogren, is a fantastic camp director. He is. I'm glad he has a job. I'm glad I'm not in charge of the camp. I really am. And so, Dave, one year, uh, Bible Club Camp had a problem. Uh, They had a child get lost at a different camp. And they came up with a policy that I remember I had a very bad attitude of at first, that, like, we had to accompany children everywhere. And Oh, I want to tell you something. I was very bitter about that. I made fun of it. 
I, I went to Dave to talk about it and I, I was not very, you know, Dave's like, well, I, I actually, this is the deal. I I'm the one that brought this policy to camp. This is the deal. But you know, when blessing was, so it's okay to disagree. So in a staff meeting, I was like, well, okay, so we're trying to do this, but here are the problems. How can we, how can we make this policy work? And, and Dave was very humble. He wasn't like, Hey, it doesn't need to be fixed. This is what we're doing. And we came up with an idea of having a staff member in a, in a loose area where we didn't have any observation, kind of watching children and kind of like not being a lifeguard, but kind of, and it really made it a lot easier to do just that one little fix. And I, I don't remember who came up with it. I, you know, but some of the staff meeting, I remember who was like, well, Hey, what if we just put someone on the path and we do this and then we'll kind of know where the kids are. And everyone was happy. You, you know what I mean? And it wasn't that I solved the problem. And in fact, mm-hmm. I was a problem because I wasn't seeking Christ's face on it. I was like, that's stupid. And that's of the flesh. When we hear a new way of running something and we immediately say, and I'm an old dog, my poor youth pastor. He's like, well, what if we did this? And I immediately dismiss it. Oh, that no, we can't do that. And then I look at him, I'm like, I, I'm sorry. Let's talk about it for a minute. Why am I saying we can't do that? Well, what I'm saying is, so I'm allowing my life experience to decide what we do. I've tried it before. It hasn't worked. So I'm not doing it again. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, that yeah. doesn't work. Well, what if Christ wants it to work? So I, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is it's a blessing that we don't all have the same viewpoint. And Dave's policy and Bible club's policy has made the camp safer. So David was right to seek to create a little more adult supervision um, at camp because we don't want campers getting lost or bad things happening to them. That's all of us would be horrified if something, well, I won't even get into it. There's such horrible things that happen today, but if that happened to one of the campers. We'd all feel bad about that probably for a long time and we can't stop everything, but Dave's policy really kind of yeah. helped nip, you know, anyway. So what I'm saying is, so there was division there, but then yeah. we came together and instead of creating sides, like we have the pastor Adrian side and we have the director's side, that would have been a waste. And we would have spent the, and I, I say this cause I've been in different camps for years and I've actually seen this happen where it devolves into two sides. And, and, and literally those two sides below the surface of camp go to mm. war with each other. And it's actually kind of sad when that happens, sometimes over doctrine, sometimes over policy, and I have sinned before in this area more than once as a teenager, as an adult. Um, and instead of being godly, I'll give you one more example. I got to shut up, but hopefully people are enjoying the stream. I'm at camp and the person that said this was a very godly person. I worked hard at the boys gym club of America and I brought along secular novels and late at night after the boys were asleep, I'd read for a little bit to unwind. I wasn't reading pornography or anything like that. I, I, I'm not trying to be crass. I'm just saying, uh, even John R. Rice, I wasn't reading Lewis Lamore, but even he would read Lewis Lamore novels, I guess. So I'm just saying, I, you know, it's kind of how I wind it. Well, the guy was a temporary director that week. And by the way, he is a brother in Christ and he's a great guy and he has had a huge impact in my life. But he goes, I think we should really sell out for Christ this week. I think we should put aside in our free time anything secular. Oh, let me tell you, I had a bad attitude about that. So what did I do? Did I go talk to him about it? No, I just rebelled. I just, just kept doing what I was doing. I didn't care. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't think that was a very good attitude on my part. I could have gone and talked to him. Maybe he would have disagreed. Maybe he would have blown me off. But 
by just either rebelling or if I had knuckled under but been bitter about it all week, I don't think the Lord was in either of those two things. The best thing for me to do would be to sit down and talk with him. And I guess at the end of the day, Matt, scripturally, let, let's say he had stuck to it and said, you know, Adrian, I think it's terrible you read secular books. You should only read Christian books. I think I think you need to repent. You know, it's kind of that's kind of a tough sell. Are we saying J.R.R. Tolkien is bad to read? Or are we saying, you know what? Yeah. Camp only lasts for a few weeks. Would it have hurt me to humble myself for the good of the camp? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I, you know, would it have really hurt me to hmm. set those things right. aside temporarily? You know, to be honest, with you, no. But I want to tell you something, Matt. I was walking in the flesh there. I had to have that time because I had to have it. Did hmm. I really have to have that time? Is that how I needed it? Could I not unplug it a different way? Right. Couldn't I have found a way to fellowship with other believers or something different? I don't know. I think I could have. And I think the way I handled it was totally inappropriate. But I think that happens in church all the time. And it creates problems. In Christian ministries, and it creates problems. Yeah. Because people are walking according to their flesh. And they're not under submission of Jesus Christ and the word. Okay. I better not share any more illustrations. Hmm. Do you want me to pray? People didn't think that I think that my experiences are worthless, Lord. I think trying to live for you, Lord, and I, I'm sure many other believers have tried to live for you, is a worthwhile endeavor. And that man at the Boys Gym Club was a godly man who loves you very much and, again, had just a huge impact in my life, a very positive impact in my life. And that's because of you, Jesus. So thank you for that. Without you, there have been no camp. There have been no impact. Father, thanks for Pastor Matt here, Lord. And I, I just pray that we as Christians, especially as the days grow darker, Lord, that we Christians would be careful to be under your authority. We'd be careful to look at the universal church under the authority of God's word. And even if we see believers, we don't want to because they've embraced things that are maybe even we think evil, according to the Bible. Father, still help us to be kind if they're a legitimate brother. Love them anyway and say, I really don't want to be a part of any of that. <laughs> and I, I think you shouldn't either. But I don't think you're unsaved. And I, I'm glad you're going to heaven. And, and, I, and I love you and I'll be praying for you. Uh, even if they say something unkind back. Father, help us as Christians. I, I think the verse we read earlier about people getting saved because of church unity the universal church's unity is extremely convicting, Lord. Uh, I know in marriage, if the wife is godly, Lord, that can lead people to Christ. And apparently if we're godly in church, because there's no other secular organization that can imitate the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray as churches, we got to understand, Lord, we have our business meetings, we have our camp meetings. And Lord, I, I've forgotten this before myself. My flesh gets involved. My experience and my will gets involved in what I think I know gets involved. So Lord, I pray that I would be under your authority at all times. Pray Pastor Matt would be under your authority at all times. And I just pray that you would bless your church. I pray it would grow in Steuben County to the praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ, Tioga County as well. And I just pray that more people will get saved, not for Matt and my glory, and not for other pastors' glory, and not for other churches' glory, or the Baptist glory, or the Methodist glory but for the glory and honor and power of Jesus Christ. Alleluia. Revelation 19 spends a lot of time lifting up 
the Lord Jesus. Father, I think that's a worthwhile thing for us to do too. So I pray tomorrow, Matt and I would lift you up in our services. Thank you for this day and thank you for this time in Biblia Scola. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Biblio Scola. We hope you continue to express the desire to know more of God and His Word. Please leave a comment if you have any questions on the discussion in this episode. Our desire is to educate and not sow confusion. This is a production of the Prattsburg Baptist Church and the Austinburg Baptist Church. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.